0: because it's a transitional chapter uh, between, we said, the book of judgment and the book of hope. Uh, And so two weeks ago, we looked at the God who comforts at the beginning of the chapter. We then looked last week at the God who cares. And this morning, we're going to look at the God who created because Isaiah comes and presents a message to the people of God's greatness in his creation. Uh, To start with, there are two assumptions we must have when it comes to understanding God in the Bible. The first one is this. The Bible does not seek to prove God exists. It assumes its existence from the beginning to the end. Uh, So if you open the book of Genesis up, it doesn't give you an explanation of why they believe God exists. They just assume that everybody reading this believed that God exists in the beginning, uh, he created. And so that's the first assumption, that's the first assumption. The second one is this, the biblical viewpoint of the creation is summed up in the opening verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created And in that statement there, that tells us really that everything that ever has been created uh, has a creator, a beginning point, and that beginning point and creator is God. And that's where the Bible begins. If you look at the first verse in Genesis 1, verse 1, uh, that's what it says, in the beginning, God created. And so God is revealed in the Bible uh, as omnipresent, which simply means he's everywhere at all times omniscient, which is all-knowing, and omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful and all-authority. I wonder why I'm sharing this with you this morning? Because it will help you to understand the passage that Isaiah writes in chapter 40 when we look at this. One of the things we'd said in the, the first week is God is bigger than we can far imagine. He's bigger than we can think. He's bigger than we can imagine. He's bigger than our minds can comprehend. And, and those three things there, the words. that that they use everywhere at all times all-knowing all-powerful and all authority describes in a sense who God is and what God is about. I'm going to add two more into this which will help us this morning uh, when we look at the passage. The first one is this and he is transcendent which simply means he's above and beyond all he has created and he is also imminent which means he's up close and personal which means a God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, uh, who who fills the universe, is also up close and personal, more personal than we can ever imagine. To know the numbers of hairs on a head would say that he's incredibly personal uh, and that in everything that happens to you, and to me. So the reason I've shared this, it gives us a foundation, um, really for what Isaiah was going to say because we've got to remember the people are on a journey, they're on a journey back, Uh, He's already explained to them why God is the God of comfort. He's now explained to them why God is the God of care. And we looked last week at the shepherd and the sheep. So now we look at the God as a creator. And uh, 12 verse 26 says this, "'Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, "'or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? "'Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket "'or weighed the mountains on the scales "'and the hills in a balance?' Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashioned silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one, calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And so we see in this passage that Isaiah is writing to the people, there is a fourfold doctrine of God, the Creator, is simply represented here in this passage that we would understand. The first one is this, everything originates with God. He was telling the people that simply everything starts out with God. He is the Creator. He's telling them that. The second thing is this, everything's existence is maintained by God. So not only does God create everything, He maintains it everything as well he's not the the idea of God that just has created and sits back in a rocking chair to suddenly let creation take care of itself and its people take care so he maintains everything the third thing is is everything operates under his control uh, which simply means that, that God God is not in control as though we were robots Uh, But nothing catches God by surprise. There's nothing unexpected happens that God doesn't know about. That simply everything operates under his control. That simply, we've got to remember the people at this time had been in slavery, in exile, in captivity. Uh, They were disheartened with God because they felt like he hadn't been listening to them. It felt like that that, that, that he had given up on them and stuff. But everything operates under God's control. That we only ever see a small, small part of the puzzle, whereas God simply sees the whole picture and everything. Sometimes you look at it and think, "Well, why is God not doing this? Surely He should do this for me." Well, God has a bigger picture. He says He has a bigger plan. He sees a beginning and the end, and He sees the end from the beginning. And this is the whole sermon in itself. And the fourth thing we see is this: is everything is directed towards God's ending. God, remember, as Isaiah was speaking, not only to the here and now, but also to the future of the. Messiah coming, but also beyond that, there is an ending towards which God is directing uh, the, the world to, his church to. Uh, if you read the book of Revelation, if you look at the, the second coming, everything is directed towards God's ending. And so Isaiah is declaring to the people, not only his comfort, his care, but also proof for, through his creation. You see, you cannot doubt the greatness of God Uh, When you see the glory of creation, simply somebody said it like this, there has to be a glorious designer behind such a glorious design. Now both sides of the argument when it comes to creation would agree that the earth has not existed eternally. So there must have been a planner, there must have been a designer, there must have been a, a creator. Because the alternative is people believing at some point there was a big bang and explosion out in space and everything sort of just fell into place. And, and that's what people would like you to believe and stuff. But if we look at some of the amazing things about the Earth that we live in, I mean, last night I sat in the back garden about nine o'clock and the moon was as clear as anything the sky was blue and it was just coming uh, getting dark and as i thought about what i was uh, speaking on this morning i thought how can we ever doubt that there was a creator that created all of this. It takes more faith in a sense to believe that it suddenly all just fell into place, that the moon is exactly the right distance from the earth, that the sun is exactly the right distance from the earth. There has to be a designer, there has to be a creator. And this is what Isaiah was talking about in his passage here, long before people began to argue about evolution and other things that have come along. He says, he's simply declaring, God in his greatness is the creator. There is a glorious designer behind such a glorious design. Have you ever watched any of the David Attenborough programs, Planet Earth and all of those ones? I think they're brilliant programs. Uh, Because I think they just prove the absolute uh, uh, one existence of God but also we see incredible plan and design and absolutely everything that goes into the amount of different colors there are in the world, uh, the amount of different animals that there are in the world, the amount of different faeces that there are in the world. And yet, people would want us to believe often that we should put this down to, well, it just happened by chance, such, such happened and this happened and that happened, and, and I would much prefer to believe in, in the, the, the proof, the truth of a designer, a creator, as Isaiah writes here, when he talks about the creation of the earth. When people talk to me, and uh, I like a good discussion, you know, good call it an argument, whichever way you want to do it, and often people will maybe post things on social media and say, you know, the Bible's not true, that's fact. You know, people are like, that's fact. i say, you know, fact, and yeah, you come back to them in, in a gentle way, just to explain to them, But well, that's not fact. Some people talk about evolution. it 's the, it's a theory of evolution. It's not the fact of evolution. People turn around and say, "Well we all evolved. We all evolved from apes and monkeys, and i 'm not going to crack any jokes at the moment, but the, the people say, would well, we must come from there?" But listen it 's a, a theory. He says Isaiah writes about this to prove to the people because he wants them to understand that the greatness of God is not only displayed in his individual comfort for his people and his care for his people as his shepherd, but his greatness is displayed and he is the creator, the designer of such a wonderful creation. You know, everything that we have and everything that we do, the land that we're able to grow our food on, and stuff, none of this is an accident. This has all been created and designed by God. So what Isaiah does, when we go back to the passage, is he asks a string of questions to prove four things. The first one is this, is God alone is creator? He asked these questions, who has measured the waters, who has marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth, who has weighed the mountains. Why is he writing this? Well, he's writing this for this point the excuse me, the whole creation is a precise work with every component present to the exact amount. As somebody said, there's no guesswork with God. You know, if you come to make something, if you come to make a cake, (laughs) ingredients, and you must put the right amount of ingredients in. He said, I know that states obvious, but some people don't do that. You don't just throw all this amount of flour and that amount of sugar, this amount of butter, whisk it in, put it in the oven and hope for the best. He says, it won't turn out the way you want it to or the way it's displayed in the book. It's uh, an example simply of what God has done here. There's no guesswork with him. He says, so Suddenly, it would be a good idea to create, and we'll do this here, and we'll do that. He says, Measured, marked, held, weight. Measured, marked, held, weight tells us there is something exact about what God has done. The creation just didn't stumble until God woke up one day and thought, I'm bored, you know what, let's create a world. He says, That's not what he did everything's measured exact because of who he is the second thing that Isaiah answers is this is God alone is incomparable and what do I mean by that well God compares himself with nobody because Isaiah asks these questions and I can't answer every question because on a Sunday morning you get 27 minutes to preach that's how exact we are that's why we talk about the guest words, 27 minutes. So there's nine minutes to teach, nine minutes to preach, and nine minutes to tell people about Jesus. That's the way we work it with the preaching on a Sunday morning. And so we're coming and he says God alone is incomparable because he asks these questions. Who can fathom? Who can instruct? Who did he consult? Who taught him? Who showed him? Because so Isaiah is saying, this is what God needed no instruction. He needed nobody consulting. There was no committee involved. He says, it's simply all of these. It comes as he created the world. He needs none of these. You know, think about this. God has never learned anything because he doesn't need to learn anything because he's all knowledgeable. Somebody threw this in and I thought this was interesting. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? You know, when you think about something, then that's never occurred to me. Says God's never had that thought because he knows everything. He says, simple as that. You know, it, it never occurred to him. And I thought, what a what an interesting thought when we think about who can fathom, who, who instructs him, who does he consult? Well, well, nobody. Because Isaiah simply says, in the creation of the world, he didn't need to ask anybody. He says, this is what makes him great. And this is what he's trying to prove here to the people. But Isaiah transitions from the universe, the planet, to simply the inhabitants of the earth. And it simply shows two word pictures because the problem is here is people think that human beings sometimes think they're more important than they are. And this is where the issue is here, as Isaiah talks about it, he simply compares it. You know, God is never at our debt or our disposal. disposal. You know, in the do-it-yourself systems of salvation, You know, simply we cannot save ourselves. And he talks about this, every effort to move God, to meet his demands, satisfy his requirements, manoeuvre him to our advantage, climb into his favour, simply is marked off with God saying, not enough, it's not enough. The sacrifice is not enough. The payment is not enough. The work is not enough. You see, the only way that the kind of worship that can be provided that God truly deserves is simply found later on in Isaiah, is Isaiah 53, when it speaks about his son being the sacrifice, being the payment for our sin. And and he simply measures it here because he simply uses his illustration. And he simply says, if you took all the wood in the forest of Lebanon, which was apparently a lot of wood, And then you took all the animals in the land and sacrificed all the animals in the land on all the wood from the trees in Lebanon and started this humongous fire with this massive sacrifice, it still wouldn't be enough. It still would not be enough for what God simply expects as far as sacrifice goes. It just wouldn't be enough. And and so it moves on then, once we know that He's incomparable to the third thing that God alone is the only God. Because he simply says, well, with who do you compare God? How, how do we compare God? And, and the greatest glory of the greatest nation in all its power compared to God. He says is this, is nothing but a drop in the bucket. Imagine that. Hey, God is not diminishing our value. He's simply trying to show how great he is in the context of everything that's happening and everything that's going on. That in his creation, in his control, in his sovereignty, in his greatness, he's simply declaring this is how, this is how great that he is. And he, as we said about this, he was seeing that the combined power of all the nations are unable to stop the power and plan of God. The combined wealth of all the nations is not sufficient to honour God with a suitable offering. Should all the armies and all the navies and all the air forces in the world combined to come into one place to take God on it would be as a drop in the bucket as God says it would be as nothing it would be as dust I mean when we start to begin to think like that we often realize not just how small we are but how big God is and how great God is and he simply says if we took all the money of all the nations, all the money that everybody's got, and we pile it up as the biggest offering ever to give to God, he would simply say, it's not enough. It's not enough. So, so there has to be something here when we come to this, that he is alone, the only God. And he compares it to when people have political power, when the princes, or legal power, if they're judges. And suddenly people like that begin to think of themselves more important than everybody else. King Louis XV of France, I read this illustration, was a king for 72 years in the 18th century. Just before he died, he called uh, the preacher, the the preacher was going to preach at his funeral from the cathedral in Paris and he says, your message when I die is Louis XV is great. And Louis XV died and the preacher thought, what am I gonna do? You know, he says he served for 72 years as the king, all the money, everything, thinks it's so important. On the day of his funeral, he gets up in front of a pack of cathedral and he simply says this, my sermon for today is, only God is great. And then got down again and sat down. Wouldn't that be a great sermon, four words, and everybody remembers it. And he says, he does that because only God is great, because nobody to compare him to. Uh, and we see the fourth thing as we come through now is this, and, and this is important. He says, God alone is transcendent. And, and what do I mean by this? And, and this is really the crunch of what we're trying to say this morning. Because it moves us away, and, and we have to do this as a church. We have to do this as believers. We've got to stop pulling God down to our level. And simply saying, it's all about where God is and what he's doing. No, God is great. The, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The sustainer of the universe. He says a maintainer of life, sovereign over everything. Oh, and we often pull him down to our level, in a sense, and say, this not really working out for me. You know, just think about the billions of people in the world, the whole world that's maintained. Now, I'm standing here preaching, but there was somebody else who was preaching the other side of the world. Not as good as me, but they're preaching the other side of the world. Sharing away, and it's the same God we're talking about, same God we're praying to. And, and it's this idea of God is transcendent. And, and I mean it like this. That when we say God is transcendent, we mean that he's exalted above and beyond us. That he is magnificent, extraordinary, unparalleled, unrivaled, unequaled, unsurpassed, incomparable, unique, superior, supreme, foremost, above all, second to none. Did you get what it means? Because that's what it means. He's transcendent. You see, when we come into church sometimes on Sunday mornings and we stand in the chair and and we don't feel like worshipping because it's been a difficult week, he says, listen, compared to a God is transcendent. He says, compared to who God is and what God has done, the extraordinary, unparalleled, incomparable, unique, superior God in his greatness, he is transcendent. A.W. Pink said this, he said the church has lost its sense of God's greatness and no longer has a sense of the majesty of God. Another way to say it is the church is no longer captivated by the transcendence of God. Simply says we're not captivated anymore by the greatness of God. Isaiah shares with the people here, he's a God of comfort, he's a God of care, but he's the God who has created everything. He says, we as people will come and go. We get this privilege to come and worship and to give our life over to him, to serve him with our life. But if we, captured, we need to be captured by this transcendence of God, that he is above and beyond before all things. And you see, when we begin to see him like that, we begin to see our circumstances as different. We begin to see what's going on in our life as different because God is ultimately in control and sovereign over everything so that we can trust in him because of that. No, when something bad happens, or oh, God has given up on me, or God is punishing me, or God has let me down. He says we can forget those three, knowing that God in his greatness, in his majesty, in his transcendence, is in control and sovereign over everything. That's a message he's sharing here to the refugees as they come back home uh, from there. One final thought before we come to our final song. He says, you know, the story of Jesus Christ, you know, begins at creation. It doesn't begin at the cross. Gospels of Matthew and Luke paint this picture of Jesus being born as a baby, as a, we know it as a Christmas story, the nativity. John throws his stick of spiritual dynamite into... Uh, the opening of his book when he talks about who Jesus is because he simply says it's in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has overcome it and see John writes these words because he has this understanding about the transformation of God, the greatness of God, that Jesus didn't arrive in Bethlehem one cold night at Christmas. He says he's always been there. He says the beginning of the story in a sense is there at creation. When John writes, he says in the beginning was the word. Jesus was always there, always has been there. He says God's purpose is knowing that his son would come one day on a mission from him to bring the word of God for the glory of God. Uh, and you see we must understand that when we look at the whole picture here as we look in this chapter. It says "And see the greatness of God. You see creation demonstrates the greatness of God. The cross demonstrates the love of God. And the resurrection demonstrates the power of God. And all three are linked we mustn't ever see them as separate. We must see them all as linked because God has a plan from the beginning to the end. Excuse me. The creation demonstrates the greatness. The cross demonstrates a love. And the resurrection demonstrates the power of God this morning. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you. Father, we thank you. God, when we come to you, we get this uh, amazing privilege, not just of worshipping you, praying to you, saying, God, you are incomparable, you are great. Father, you are a wonderful God. God, you are the God of creation. And Father, we come to you and we are in awe of your greatness and your majesty this morning, Father God, because we elevate you, Lord, above our circumstances, above our situations, above what is going on in this world at the moment, and declare that, God, you are in control because you are great. There is nothing that catches you by surprise. There is nothing that has ever occurred to you. There is no one that can teach you anything. And Father, as we come in our closing song this morning, our responses to declare the praises of him this morning, the one who is the creator, the one who is the savior, and the one who is the deliverer. And we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.